Okay, well, welcome to the Rebel Podcast. Um, this is a little bit of a um, thrown together, <laughs> thrown together, long shot, uh, let's patchwork podcast. Uh, we had a, a, a file get corrupted and uh, we still wanted to get something out to you on a Wednesday. So uh, I have wonderful friends who are, are willing to rearrange their whole days, come into work on their birthdays in some cases, and, uh, and record a podcast with me. So um, it's it's just Nate. You don't have uh, Pooty with you, but this is the Rebel Podcast. We're part of the Reformed Rebel Network. And uh, rather than go through all the housekeeping, I'll just point you back to our Facebook page or the website or the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Reformed Rebel Network or Facebook slash Reformed Rebel Network, and you can find out all about us. But I am joined today uh, by uh, Ryan Aris and Nathan O'Black from the uh, Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Uh, as anybody who's been listening to the podcast for a while knows that these are good friends of ours. Uh, we've done a lot with them. And uh, so I'm Nathan is the relationship manager. Ryan is the director of content and publication. You probably know Ryan's voice from the podcast for Contemporary Christianity. And uh, uh, how you guys doing? Very good, very yeah. good. And uh, you're going to hear uh, you're going to hear Nate's voice on uh, on our podcast as well going forward. Nice. So we uh, we just uh, just recorded just released uh, season four of the Ezra Institute podcast. And now that we've got Nate on the team. We've uh, we've started recording a a regular series going forward, also uh, releasing on Wednesdays, calling it the Worldview Wednesday series. So nice. I mean, no pressure. But uh, anyway, all that to say, it's a it's it's a pleasure to be here. And you, yeah, some people might know my voice. We've been doing this for a while, but uh, here's Nate as well. Get uh, get used to him too. Yeah, a bit of a trial by fire for me here because uh as of last week i'd never been on a podcast once in my entire life and uh joined on with the ezra institute podcast uh like uh, ryan had said that's going to come out every wednesday and happy to be invited to to join your podcast nate for today well we're happy happy to have you and um for anybody who doesn't know um ryan why don't you give us just a quick snapshot if you've been listening to us for a while you should know unless you fast forward through any of our uh, affiliation or housekeeping items, which shame on you if you do. Um, but uh, Ryan, why don't you tell people about the Ezra Institute? What is it? And, uh, and what is this, uh, this wonderful thing that's brought you two wonderful gents together, but uh, that we've done so much together in? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. So the Ezra Institute is a confessional, evangelical, non-denominational Christian organization and we're, we're committed to uh, teaching and training in the areas of cultural theology, apologetics, and worldview training. And uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of your listeners will know who uh, Joe Boot is. Uh, Joe's the founder and the president of the Ezra Institute. He worked in apologetics and in church ministry for many years. And the, the reason that the Ezra Institute uh, came into being was just as a result of Joe's work as a, a traveling evangelist and apologist uh, doing uh, itinerant speaking, he, start, he started realizing sort of partway through his, uh, his career there that, uh, man, you know, the, the questions, the questions that people are asking, the questions that skeptics are, uh, are posing against arguments for Christianity are not the same uh, as they used to be. Sometime 
in the past 20 years or so, there's been a radical shift, you know, where even uh, where any of us would have grown up hearing, you know, we got we to gotta understand and answer, you know, is there good evidence that Jesus rose from the dead? Um, what about uh, the problem of evil and suffering? You know, why would, uh, why would a good God uh, send people to hell? But, and like, these, it's not that these are bad questions to ask, but people are no longer asking them. People are, uh, people are now asking, you know, it, what, don't you know that Christianity is a oppressive, patriarchal, colonialist, Eurocentric religion? Like, <laughs> it, uh, so the, the, the emphasis started shifting uh, from why should I be a Christian to how dare you be a Christian? Right. And so that the, uh, the Ezra Institute exists to give a radical, uh, that is a, a, like a root level, fundamental ground up response, not to not assuming a, uh, a level playing field, but assuming hmm. the, the truth of the Christian worldview and asserting hmm. that it's only the Christian worldview that makes sense of reality. So that's the approach that, uh, that the Ezra Institute has taken on. Our goal, uh, looking far down the line, is the, the long-term revival and reformation of, uh, of the world as the kingdoms of the world become the kingdoms of the Lord Jesus and of his Christ. Uh, sounds ambitious, but uh, we've, uh, we serve a mighty God. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. There's, there's so much there I want to tease out. Um, what we're going to do with this episode is we're, we're going to kind of just talk about um, the Ezra Institute. And, and I, quite honestly, I think this episode will just kind of be an apologetic for why everybody should, should be getting involved with the Ezra Institute and following just because I think where we're at culturally right now, you just described kind of where we are in, a, in an evangelical landscape in terms of um, apologetics. But I think where we are culturally right now with everything going on with COVID and social justice and uh, kind of the woke church movement, um, I, think, I think all of that highlights the absolute necessity of what the Ezra Institute does right now. So, so maybe that's where we'll go in this conversation. But uh, while we're still meandering our way into that, um, Nathan, you're, you're uh, kind of newer to the staff at the Ezra Institute there. So um, why don't you tell us what was it about the Ezra Institute that kind of attracted you to, to um, you know, get involved and, and what do you do there as a, as a relationships manager? Great. Yeah. So uh, just to give you a bit of background of my story, uh, I have been a public school teacher for the past uh, 11 or 12 years or so. Um, well, I should say both in public and private uh, institutions. So I taught to, uh, in the public school system for nine years, um, and, and in reality, uh, a lot of ways because of reading a lot of Joe's teaching and like-minded teachers uh, recognized that I was finding it very difficult to be faithful in that role. Uh, had a few years of pretty heavy conviction um, that I was perhaps leaving my faith at the door, so to speak, when I walked into work each day. Um, and certainly everyone's situation is different, but I felt uh, compelled uh, to, to make a change and um, started working as a high school teacher uh, at a Christian school just down the road. Uh, and 
I, I mean, I can personally tell you the freedom I felt uh, of having the ability to root all of my instruction in the truth of God's word was uh, um, absolutely wonderful. Uh, so I had spent two wonderful years teaching at uh, uh, Jordan Christian School, a school very close to the Institute here. Um, loved working there, loved the institution, uh, and was approached by the ministry here by Ezra Institute, um, asking if, uh, if I wanted to help them um, build relationships with churches, uh, schools such as the one I was currently working in, um, seminaries and individuals uh, between those people and the Ezra Institute, uh, just informing them a little bit about what we do. Uh, and of course, Ryan talked uh, wonderfully on all of that. Um, but understanding um, that we are a ministry that's committed to um, uh, the Lordship of Christ in every sphere of life, uh, for people developing uh, a robust Christian world and life view, and then applying that to um, all areas of life. So not simply uh, life inside the church, but to areas such as economics and education and the arts, etc. Um, and it's been interesting. I, I find already in my first, uh, you know, short time here at the Institute that there's certainly a hunger uh, that people have uh, to be trained to think biblically through all these um, cultural issues that are emerging right now and recognizing that, uh, that they don't have that, uh, that they don't have that uh, uh, um, proper biblical presupposition to, to enter into all of these different conversations. So uh, again, my role here is uh, to get people attached to the Institute, to attend some of our programs. Uh, we run uh, several residential programs throughout the year where people can come and they can listen to people like Joe, some of our fellows speak through different issues, whether it be people in the workplace, um, pastors, uh, young people. Um, we've got several different programs that can train people for, uh, you know, whether it's a week or two weeks long, however long our program is, how to think through various topics biblically. And actually, if I can give you just a little bit of a pitch of some of our programs coming up please here. Please do. Yeah, please do. We, We've got two, two fall programs um, that we're excited to run, uh, one of them being the Worldview in the Marketplace program, and that's running August 19th to the 21st. And that's over. Oh, what did I say? August. No, not August. Lies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so October. Thank you, Ryan. 19th to the 21st. And that's uh, geared toward business leaders and entrepreneurs and anyone working in the corporate world. Uh, and again, the, the, the point of the program is simple. It's, uh, it's training these leaders to think through the issues that they're facing on a day-to-day -day business with a Christian world and life view. Uh, thinking through business, economics, um, and, and even relationally, how do we relate to our employees? Uh, how do we relate to people that we are interacting with every day uh, with, a, with a distinctly um, Christian world and life view? Uh, the second program... Uh, that we're going to be running this fall. Uh, it's in November, and it's the Church and Culture Pastors Colloquium. That runs from November 16th to the 20th, and that's geared toward church leaders and elders. Um, and again, 
the focus there is, is just dealing with some of the issues of the day. So one, I know that's a major one that you've discussed on your podcast, we've discussed on ours, um, but the relationship of the church, the state, and the family. So this is something that uh, you well know many people are very confused about. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we're excited to, to work through those issues with a lot of uh, pastors um, in the area. And we're looking at things like marriage, uh, gender, sexuality, um, the church's role in education, uh, which is, of course, something that I'm uh, passionate about personally, um, church discipline, and then, of course, uh, helping um, church leaders think through uh, COVID-19 and all of the, the regulations in place and, and how do we effectively shepherd congregations uh, through this time that's, that's confusing for a lot of people. Yeah, it's well since you since you brought it up, Nathan. <laughs> um, so I, it, it occurred to me as you guys were chatting, and you're both kind of talking about what the Ezra Institute does. Uh, Nathan, I think it was you uh, who used the term hunger, right? That there's there's sort of a a, a hunger for uh, a faith or a biblical understanding or a worldview that that hits on all of the various spheres that we find ourselves in, right? And so it occurs to me that I think there's almost a good root that's at the, uh, the kind of the foundation of some of the difficulties we've found ourselves in. And let me, let me explain what I mean by that, and then I'd love to get your thoughts on it. So it seems to me like there's a lot of people who, like me, grew up in the church um, and were told to read our Bible and do what it says. And, um, and I certainly uh, had a very up and down relationship with God in the church uh, throughout my adolescence. But as, as I entered into my late teens and early 20s, reading the Bible and trying to do what it says, I was at a church that was not theological at all. It was a very charismatic church and very experiential. But what was drilled into me is read your Bible and do what it says. And what's interesting is that there, there was this hunger for whatever is true, whatever is real that I find in the Bible must apply everywhere. And yet, as I looked around at the church that I grew up in, in particular, and the churches uh, that were, uh, that I was, our church was affiliated with, there was really this narrow gospel, right? The gospel is what got you saved, got you your ticket to heaven. And, um, and then you go home and, you know, you go to work and you do all those things, but you come back to church on Sunday and that's where you worship. That's where you pray. That's where you are a Christian and you got your ticket to heaven. And you should probably try to evangelize your neighbors along the way because the whole world's heading, you know, to hell in a handbasket, but you got your ticket to heaven. And, and so for a lot of us who I think, you know, there's one of two directions that you can kind of, if you, if you actually have a regenerate heart, if the Lord is gracious to you and, and grants you repentance and faith, and so the, the faith there is real, but you grew up in that environment, you kind of have two options ahead of you, right? Like you're not going to be satisfied in the, in the church that claims to have a high view of scripture, but doesn't preach anything beyond Sunday morning and individual salvation. And the two things in front of you are sort of either go deeper in your theology and get caught up in this sort of young, restless and reformed movement that was going on or get swept up in the emergent church because they seem to have a, a mission, right? They seem to be missiological as well as 
um, you know, kind of this, this ticket to heaven mentality. And so, um, so now what you have, I think, is a whole lot of Christians who have this narrow view who um, get swept up in something like the emergent church. So now their mission is let's do justice, let's do all that kind of stuff, but they don't have the foundation. Or you have the people who got really reformed and they have the theology, but they haven't applied it to all of life. And I'm thinking of, even though he's doing great stuff right now, the MacArthurites of the world who you know don't, don't necessarily have the, the missiological foundation that I think is, is primed at the Ezra Institute. So, like, so then when, you, when things like COVID come along, when things like Black Lives Matters come along, you have Christians who genuinely want their faith to affect these areas, but they haven't been given the proper foundation to understand it biblically. Does that, does that resonate with a lot of the people that you guys are interacting with and trying to kind of snag uh, into your programs with the Ezra Institute? Yeah, totally. And uh, I had a, uh, not identical, but a pretty similar kind of upbringing in church. and. I remember I actually, I went to Bible school in, <laughs> I registered and then I spent four years at, uh, at Bible college initially because I, I just had this sense that, man, if this, this can't be all of Christianity. Mm. What, what I've been raised with can't be the whole story. Mm. There's got to be something, I, I knew enough to know that I didn't know hardly anything. Okay. And uh, so when I... Uh, <laughs> Then when I got to, to Bible college, I realized, yeah, I'm, I'm totally not the only one who, uh, who had this same, uh, this same hunger, this same sense. And uh, I think that uh, the, the need that the Ezra Institute is meeting is that, you know, you've got, uh, you've got people in a lot of cases, very competent, passionate uh, mm -hmm. people who, uh, who love the Lord. Mm -hmm. Who are who are feeling that same thing that there's got to be more to it. I like there. It can't be. It can't be right if everything that I've so if that everything that I understand about being a Christian is true. It doesn't make sense for me to go into work and leave my faith at the door and mm -hmm. then pick it up when I leave. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where it's, it's great to sit with you guys because I have a very similar church upbringing as well. Uh, definitely raised and trained on the notion that uh, the faith kind of begins and ends inside the church. And um, Joe, yeah. Joe, Joe would refer to that as the ecclesiasticizing of the kingdom. Right. So all of our kingdom work is, is limited to, to church business. Um, I, I certainly, uh, held to that, either consciously or subconsciously, um, you know, nearly my entire life, right up until, again, looking back at my experience as uh, a public school teacher. And uh, like I had said, I, you know, started coming across some resources that, uh, that push back against that notion. And then all of a sudden, I found myself uh, as a teacher uh, in a government school uh, teaching all of my students that everything can be understood about God's world uh, apart from God, right? So we can make sense of science, we can make sense of history, we can make sense of literature apart from God. And I was, I was teaching that, again, not, not necessarily recognizing it, but God was excluded from all of my uh, instruction. And I certainly didn't believe that, but 
in my mind, uh, my life in the church and my life as a teacher remained uh, separate. Uh, and then again, like when I was confronted with that notion, I found myself thinking, okay, but now what? How do, how do I deal with this? Um, how do I talk about uh, this world uh, if I'm not able to start with God? If I'm not able to start with this being his creation? Um, and as we're talking, um, my favorite quote from Abraham Kuyper keeps resonating through my mind, so I'm just going to read it, but it's, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And I slowly started recognizing that that's true. I've always believed that, but I had never thought, okay, what are the implications of that when I go to work as a teacher? Um, and then, of course, that's when, you know, a lot of, the, there was a lot of internal struggle with how do I do this job faithfully? Um, and then in my, you know, personal situation, I, I eventually came to the conclusion that I can't. I can't, uh, with conviction, do this job knowing that I have um, faithfully laid my efforts before the Lord. And, and you know, that eventually led me out of um, public education. Uh, and, and left me with um, certainly a heart to educate from a biblical worldview, but also left me with um, uh, really uh, the reason why I'm here at the Ezra Institute is now a passion for other people to, to, um, to see God's world in a similar way, um, where God clearly owns every inch of this world and we're to be faithful in every area of our life. Absolutely. The, um, the, one of the verses that comes to mind that I think um, we have, we have these various Christian traditions that kind of botch it. Uh, Doug Wilson does. Doug Wilson is fond of saying that you can fall into the ditch on either side of the road. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there's that verse when Paul says that I, you know, I, I uh, desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And I remember when I was in seminary, our, our um, professors using that as an opportunity to say, like, you never stray too far from the gospel. Every sermon must have a gospel appeal, every, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And I think though that verse kind of gets interpreted in one of a couple ways, right? So you have kind of two reactions to it. You have the the, the Christians who believe that that means everything is, it, you know, uh, Big Eva loves everything being gospel-centered, right? Gospel-centered, gospel centrality, right? <laughs> yeah. There, I think there's a book with that title. Yeah. yeah, there is a book with that title. I highly recommend it. I love that um, book. And, uh, but there's this idea that, okay, what that means is the gospel is, uh, is deep and it's rich, but it's narrow about the salvation of sinners. Right. Mm -hmm. And then and then you have a reaction where you have and I think this was we're all kind of saying that we all had a yearning for this is no, no, it must apply to more than that. And so you have sort of the emergent church that comes along and says, oh, no, we interact with the culture. We engage the culture. We have something to say in all these areas. But what they do is they kind of stretch out the gospel so that it's just a, you know, uh, an inch thin, but it spreads over everything. Mm -hmm. and just kind of slap a gospel veneer on all of their social work 
And, uh, but, but I think what I, I have appreciated and I've learned, I, I don't work at the Ezra Institute, but I've learned so much from Joe and from a lot of the programs that you guys have is that the gospel applies to every area of life, but it's not, it's not, uh, it's not cheapened. It's not watered down. It's a full gospel that when you stretch it, it doesn't get any thinner and it covers everything. And I think that's the, that's the whole point. If, if Christ died and rose from the dead and the resurrected Jesus is sitting on the throne of the earth, then that changes how you do economics and education and medicine and everything. And so what I appreciate most about everything that you guys do is it's not just, um, you're talking about the, uh, the events that you have coming up. It's not just focused on the church. And I think there's a lot of sort of parachurch ministries that are very uh, focused on doing things within the walls of the church. And I think that's one of, one of the areas where I don't sometimes like the way we do parachurch ministry is um, when uh, church or parachurch ministries try to come in and, and they're dictating the ministries happening within the church. I think what you guys do so well is you take the people from within the church and you train them for every, for life outside of the walls of the church, which let's be honest, should be happening inside churches, mm -hmm. um, but isn't happening in a lot of churches. And you guys are just such a, a deep resource for churches for us to be able to send our, our doctors and our lawyers and our educators help them get a, a full orb biblical worldview. So no, I, I appreciate you saying birthday, that. Boy. So I, I appreciate you saying that Nate. And uh, <laughs> this is, we had one, one of the, uh, one of the programs that we run and we didn't run it this year uh, because of all of the restrictions in place, of course, but uh, it's called, it's called the runner Academy. Uh, it's a two week program. Actually, Nathan Oblak here was, uh, was a delegate on there in 2009. That was sort of his most uh, his most prolonged exposure to uh, to the institute up to that point. That's right. But uh, one one of the things that uh, that was common when uh, when we were meeting with the people who came on this program, and it's for it's for people like us. It's for people in their twenties and thirties um, going into or like in in education or or sorry in uh, what's it called. Uh, who are still studying, sort of getting towards the end of their post-secondary studies or starting out in their careers in whatever field they might be in. But uh, they're also, one of the things that, uh, that we're looking for from the people who apply is, you know, are, are you involved in your church? Are you, uh, are you at a church, first of all, and, uh, and are you involved there? And so much of it, so often I would hear some, some variation of, Yes, like I'm very involved in my church. Uh, what one of the things that I want from this program is to get to get coached up to go back into the church and be more effective. Uh, not not just not just for the sake of, as you say, the four walls of the church, but so that church can be a more effective church in its own uh, proclamation and defense of the gospel. Hmm. It's good. It's good. So how, how would you say um, the, so somebody who's listening, who maybe hasn't, uh, doesn't know Joe, doesn't know you guys, doesn't, maybe hasn't been to any of the lectures uh, and is trying to figure out what you guys are all about. How, if you are wanting to uh, bring faith to bear in, on all of these various aspects of culture, how is it that 
um, you can protect yourselves from uh, just kind of getting caught up in the, uh, the, the, the movement of the day, right? So you look at, like, for example, when you think of everything that's going on right now with Black Lives Matter, okay, racism is a sin mm -hmm. and um, should be combated. And as a pastor who's spoken out against a lot of the Black Lives Matters stuff, the protests, the ideology behind it, how um, I've, I've got a lot of criticism kind of saying, hey, like racism's bad, right? We agree on that. It should probably be stopped, right? We agree on that. Why can't the church partner with this cultural movement? How do you guys stop yourselves from kind of getting swept up in whatever the latest fat, cultural fad is um, as you try to apply to all of these various, the gospel and faith to all of these various areas? <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a real simple answer for that read your Bible. <laughs> it's where we came in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bring it all back together. Yeah. <laughs> but really, I mean, if you look at something like um, Black Lives Matter, you brought up that example, and you, you really do any even minor degree of research on that movement, you know, just go to their website and hear from their, from their own words what this group is about and, and how they go about achieving their notion of justice. And you'll quickly recognize that it is uh, uh, anti-biblical. Uh, things like um, uh, the deconstruction uh, of the nuclear family, um, uh, very pro-LGBTQ uh, initiatives, um, several others. Um, their, their, their idea of what justice looks like uh, is completely unrelated to the Bible, to the gospel, um, where we know, uh, well, justice in this world um, isn't fully possible, right? We, we, look, we look to God for justice, right? We, um, You want to pick that up, Brian? Yeah, so I would, uh, I would just supplement to what, what Nathan said there. Um, the, the, thing, the thing with Black Lives Matter or the thing with, you mentioned earlier, like the Young, Restless, and Reformed or the Emergent Church, any of these contemporary movements, uh, they're, they're, all, they're all responding to a, uh, a real sort of perceived uh, lack of fellowship, if, if I can put it in those terms. There, there is disharmony in the world. Sin uh, and the fall broke fellowship uh, in every direction, right? Sin, sin broke our fellowship uh, with one another, with God, and with the world around us. Mm. And we, as creatures uh, created in the image of God, and as creatures who carry around in our bodies, the curse of Adam still, uh, we feel that, hmm. we sense that. So it's not, to, it's not a Christian problem, or it's not a strictly Christian problem, I should say, uh, the problem of guilt, uh, the need for reconciliation, hmm. the need, the, the demand for justice. And part of the, the clever marketing of uh, some of these terms like social justice is that, oh, like they were the first to be for justice. So mm. 
if you're opposed to a social justice movement, that means you're, you're for social justice. injustice. Yeah. Like, uh, but we, so we, we perceive that, uh, that there, is, there is broken fellowship. There is a need for justice. There is a need for reconciliation. But the problem with, uh, with any of these movements or any other movement is that it tries to, it tries to hang the, the problem of guilt and it tries to pin the hopes of restoration on something other than the cross of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing, nothing except the cross can hold that weight. That's right. Yeah. There's only, yeah. right. There's only one thing that, uh, uh, that absorbs or defeats sin, right? Everything else is a tug of war match, right? Without the cross, yeah. then it's just different parties pulling on one another. Um, exactly. The, the cross is the great absorber, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... You know, that's you, if you think of it in terms of uh, atonement, right? Uh, as Christians, we know that our sins are atoned for uh, through the work of Jesus Christ, through shedding of blood on the cross. And uh, look at what these groups are appealing to in order to atone for sin. It's, it's uh, uh, pulling power from the oppressor. Um, it's uh, repentance from a certain ethnicity. Uh, these, these are ideas that they're appealing to, to achieve that atonement for sin, uh, which is of course radically unchristian. So um, pulling that off of the specifics of kind of talking about Black Lives Matter, um, what you would say then is, is just being thoroughly theological is what kind of um, right, really understanding your Bible is is kind of what helps you um, guard against kind of getting caught up in any uh, individual movement. But and uh, you also said, Ryan, uh, um, these things are reactionary, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than kind of proactive, right? When if we're proactively taking the Bible and using it to flush out our worldview in all of these various spheres, then we're then we aren't being reactive to whatever the newest thing is. We are, we're being proactive. And that's why the Ezra Institute is so passionate about catching young people and getting them involved in their programs. Right. So that's uh, hmm. you're, you're totally right on with that. And uh, if I can just sort of say a little more about that approach, um, you'll notice that, uh, and you, you've been here several times, Nate, um, we've got, uh, we've got a sign out front, that, uh, that calls our facility the Center for Reformational Culture. And so we're, uh, we're grounded in a tradition that, uh, that yes, is related to the, that broader reformed tradition, but specifically in the, the reformational tradition. And reformational is a, uh, a, a philosophic school of thought that... <clears throat> that uh, understands understands life as composed of several distinct but interrelated spheres or aspects of reality mm. so the uh, if we get back to like any number of those uh, of those other movements that we've talked about before mm. uh, as you said they've the the social justice they've got uh, They've got a handle on something. They're, they are responding true to a true 
sense of injustice. They're, they're not wrong to perceive injustice in the world. But, the, the, but their response is utterly reductionistic. Hmm. The, uh, the reformational approach uh, puts, or understands, I should say, understands all of life as an integrated whole. So everything has you know, an economic aspect, a judicial or a, a justice aspect, mm -hmm. uh, a historic a aspect, and on and on. Mm -hmm. yep. You can't, uh, the, the problem comes when you take any one of these distinct aspects mm -hmm. and sort of extrapolate that so that the part is uh, being substituted for the whole. So th I, th this might be a bit, bit of a bunny trail, but let me just <laughs> run off like a bunny. Specialize in that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there's two, there's two major approaches to theology. And I think um, the sort of young, restless, and reformed, uh, we've used that term a few times, but basically just sort of the, the, the re- reform the the kind of resurgence of reform theology right whether that's the reform pub or listening to john piper sermons or mark driscoll preaching in tattered pants mm. um, but there's this this kind of reclamation of reform theology that um has happened over the last couple of of decades um and i think that's a very systematic approach to theology, right? When we think of theology, sometimes we think of systematic theology textbooks where you, you look up soteriology, eschatology, right? Ecclesiology. And all of these things are like little um, spice jars in a spice rack, right? And you take out the paprika or the parsley or the oregano, and they're all in their own separate containers. Or, and I think the more, um, I would say, the better Bible student I've become over the years, the more I, I appreciate the approach of biblical theology, which is to understand the individual aspects of true theology as they relate to the whole, right? As they relate to the, the grand narrative of scripture. And I think one of the things that has drawn me to, to Joe and the Ezra Institute is his ability to see history as the unfolding of God's story and that everything relates back to that. Right. And so all of these things aren't separate spices in a spice rack. All of these things are an interrelated jumble and they all have to do with the story that God is telling. And uh, as we understand medicine or education or whatever our area of vocation is, the more we understand our place in this grand narrative. And I think that's, that's the sort of approach that I have come to really appreciate. And I think that, um, you know, as a pastor who's trying to teach people, um, helping people understand their place in the story that God is telling is a much more fulfilling um, goal than sort of uh, preaching about the individual ticket that they have to heaven and that God is going to make their life great because we, we know that that doesn't always work out the way um, people had thought. So um, yeah, it just came kind of came to mind as you were talking about that, that there's, there is this sort of tension between the systematic approach and the biblical approach. Hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
Um, hey, I, I didn't, I told you guys I wasn't going to take up too much of your time. So uh, I, I've enjoyed this conversation and uh, I could, I feel like I could sit down and chat with you guys all day. So maybe we'll do some podcast stuff together now that you guys are up and going together on a regular basis. Um, and, uh, and we'll get it a little bit more planned out than, than this one. But I want to give you guys the last little bit. So um, why don't you guys each uh, take just a moment to let us know where we can find your resources. And maybe, um, so Nathan, why don't you tell us where, where we can find some resources. And then uh, uh, Ryan, as the director of content, why don't you tell us about some content that you're really excited about that's coming up at the Ezra Institute? Great. Yeah, you, could, you can find uh, everything you need to know at ezrainstitute.ca. So if you go to our website, you'll see the list of programs, you'll see links to our podcast, uh, you'll see links to videos, uh, some of Joe's sermons, some of his talks that he's given here at the Institute, and you'll see some videos from many of our fellows too that are um, connected to the Institute. And, and these are speakers from all over the world. So you can find all of that there at the website, ezrainstitute.ca. Um, and you can also find more information on the programs I spoke about earlier. Beauty. Yeah, as far as content goes, um, again, Nate mentioned EzraInstitute.ca. Uh, we're working on a couple of things currently. Uh, Joe Boot, uh, whose name you has come up a few times, uh, he's, he's working on a series of articles on the idea of utopia. And that's, uh, that's been a big thing lately because as we, uh, as we look at the, the situation with COVID, we're seeing not primarily medical concerns, uh, but uh, more and more um, civil, uh, civil issues and concerns over government overreach. And this, uh, this has a lot to do with the, uh, the origins and doctrines of the, uh, the unchristian and even anti-Christian uh, idea of utopia. And Joe's, Joe's been getting into the, uh, the origins and the history of that and how it's been playing out throughout the centuries. Uh, so yeah, watch, uh, watch EzraInstitute.ca. We're putting out a series of articles on that. And we also have a, uh, a publishing ministry that's meant to support uh, our, uh, our audience. It's, uh, it's EzraPress.ca. And we've, uh, we are bringing out a new book in a couple of weeks. Um, it's by one of our fellows named Peter Jones. And it's, the book is called Who's Rainbow? And it's a, a pagan view of, or it's how, uh, describing how a essentially pagan view of sexuality uh, as represented in the, uh, the rainbow flag uh, is making inroads into the church, what it's been doing there, how the church has been responding. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's coming out shortly. Uh, Grant and Erica Van Brimmer, who are uh, part of the Rebel Network, uh, they've, got, uh, they've got a book that uh, Ezra Press put out. Uh, most of Joe Boot's publications come out through there as well. So if, if you visit ezrapress.ca, you'll be able to find uh, all of those uh, print and uh, ebook resources for uh, for your own edification as well nice and i'll uh, i'll i'll take this as an opportunity to do a little bit of shameless plugging for the network and that is grant and erica's um book uh the king of advent is a great family advent devotional guide 
Ezra Press published that. And uh, we're, we're recording this in September, which means you got lots of time to uh, fill out your orders for a great Christmas present or, or, uh, or a, uh, an opportunity for you and your family to go through an Advent guide. So check them out there. Um, anyway, thanks so much for being on, guys. Uh, thanks for all that you're doing. And, uh, and hopefully everybody who is part of our listenership will hear a lot more about what's going on in the Ezra Institute. But definitely check them out. That should be your number one stop for resources, for articles, for books, uh, all that kind of stuff. Especially if you're in southwestern Ontario, these guys are um, are vital to um, the uh, the hope of the gospel reaching southwestern Ontario. So thanks for all you do. Stick on the line for just a second, and uh, everyone else, I'll see you next week. That's a privilege, Nate. Thanks for having us. Yep, thanks so thanks, much, Nate. Uh, thanks for yeah. It's 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 excellent to stand shoulder to shoulder with you and uh, the Rebel team. <laughs>